Hello, and welcome to the Latino Business Report. My name is J.R. Gonzalez, your host. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. In this episode, we're going to examine a little bit more about immigration, the proposed tariff taxes, DREAM Act, and a lot of things dealing with Mexico. However, we're going to look at it from a different perspective. Today, we're very fortunate to have a representative of the state of Tamaulipas to talk to us about these issues from the Mexican viewpoint. We'll be right back. Today we are in McAllen, Texas, and we have with us a gentleman, and his name is Francisco Gavan Garza, and you are with the government of Tamaulipas. Correct, JR. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you for the space, uh, JR. Appreciate it. Now, Francisco, you uh, have a very interesting position with the uh, Bilateral Commission? Correct. What is that, the Bilateral Commission? Well, this is a, this is a position on the state of Tamaulipas that uh, it existed before, but it was never promoted and enhanced, and now the new governor has uh, very, very, uh, 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 a lot of interest on, on getting this position going and getting that relation between the state of Tamaulipas and Texas uh, enhanced and improved and, and and get it larger, larger with the, with the time he's going to be a governor. Okay. So, um, and this is a new governor, correct? Yes, correct. This and governor has been in power for only four months. And his name? His name is uh, Licenciado Francisco Javier Garcia Cabeza de Vaca. And he just took uh, uh, power four months ago, and it's a six-term period for a government. Uh, six period, years, correct. Six years period on the government of Mexico. So uh, there's a long ways to go. Now, which party is he with? Now, I understand that he's kind of taken over and the, for the non-traditional party. He's coming. in Yes, Tamaulipas, uh, uh, J.R. was governor by, by, by 86 years <clears throat> for the official political party was a PRI. And our governor is from the PAN, which is a conservative, the conservative uh, political party. And uh, this is an historic event. Uh, Tamaulipas, it's uh, it's uh, excited to have a new governor, and it's excited for the transformation that the governor has promised on his campaign. And of course, uh, things don't happen in four months. We have to give it Absolutely. a time. We have to give it a time and be patient. But I'm very sure with the determination that he has that in six years we're going to be uh, seeing a very different state than what we have right now. So it's 86 years under the other party? Correct. The PRI, and now the PAN has taken over? Correct. Now, just for our mm-hmm. listeners, it's a six-year term, because governors in Mexico aren't allowed to run for re-election. Is that correct? It's correct. just six years and they're done. That's it. Same yes. as the president. Exactly. Six-year term. Yes. So in that six years, what's the agenda of the governor? What does he want to do? And first of all, before we get into that, Francisco, just for our listeners' benefit, Tamaulipas, where is that located? All right. This is a very interesting question you're uh, doing, J.R. A lot of a lot of people knows where Texas is, but a lot of people doesn't know where Tamaulipas is. Ta- Tamaulipas is a state that is right south of the border of, of Texas, where one of one portion of Texas, because okay. Texas, its neighbor not only with uh, Tamaulipas, its neighbors also with Nuevo Leon, the state is neighbors with Coahuila, and its neighbors as well as Chihuahua. The last border town that we have with Texas is El Paso. Texas, Texas is a big state. Texas is a big state. So what is the main city in the U.S. across from Tamaulipas? What would be a, a one well, of the major we passages? have we have we have three major cities in 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 the border town of uh, the state of Tamaulipas, uh, bordering the state of Texas. The first one, uh, starting from the east to west, is Matamoros. Uh, 
Okay. With a population of about 800,000 people. Then we and from Matamoros, the U.S. city opposite of that? Is it well? Brownsville, Texas? Brownsville, okay. And we have Reynosa. Reynosa, okay. With, uh, uh, with the people, uh, with the city, uh, neighbor city of McAllen and Hidalgo. Okay. And then we go to Nuevo Laredo, which uh, the neighbor city is Laredo, Texas. So, so we have very, very big, large, important cities. So the state of Tamaulipas pretty much covers the, the majority of the Texas Mexican border? Uh, a good chunk of it. Good chunk of it. Good chunk of it. Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, that's why uh, the governor is very, very interested on, 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 on promoting his state in the state of Texas. And uh, by the governor being an uh, American citizen as well as a uh, Mexican citizen, and he graduated from uh, uh, Houston on, on, uh, on his college degree, um, he knows the culture. He knows the language. is uh, is is the first governor. He's bilingual, so uh, so. Uh, so you have a bilingual, bicultural, bicultural governor. governor. Correct. So he was born in Mexico. Born in Mexico. No, born in McAllen. Born in McAllen, Texas. Born in McAllen. Raised in Reynosa. Went to high school in McAllen. Went to college in Houston. Dual yes. citizenship. Correct. Okay. Correct. And then he went back and be, got involved politically and became he governor. Got involved politically in the times when uh, Fox, President Fox, got elected. Mm -hmm. I have known him since then. We've been friends since then, and we've been collaborating with him in all through his political career. And and for me, this is my first uh, uh, public assignment. I've been always an entrepreneur and a, 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 a business people, business guy, mm -hmm. and this is my first time participating. On a, on a government assignment, but I'm very glad and I'm very happy to do it. And I think that um, the governor has been very careful to assign him the correct people to represent him in every single position because he wants to make sure that every position is covered by honorable, decent, knowledgeable people. Good. And I cannot thank you enough for, for doing this. It's so last minute. Um, in fact, for our listeners, we just met maybe about four or five hours ago. Correct, yeah. And uh, we had a nice dinner with some other folks from Tamak, mm -hmm. and uh, we're back now getting this, this podcast. Uh, you have the authority to talk about some things, and if, if I get to something that you're not comfortable answering, please let me know. Sure. But I, I, I can't help but wonder, Francisco, in the mind of, of the Mexican people, what are they thinking about what's going on in U.S. politics right now? Well, um, that's the main question that I've been asked since I took position of my uh, my assignment as a representative of the state of Tamaulipas in Texas. And of course, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of rumors, and there's a lot of panic. If you can fear, fear. I mean, fear. panic and fear. And um, I have always said uh, that uh, first, uh, for us being Mexican citizens, we have to be very respectful about the uh, democratic decision that the United States did in electing their uh, new president. President Trump was elected by the majority of the electoral vote and uh, in, in those terms uh, us as Mexicans we're very respectful about the, the democracy of every country and under that uh, we have to be also uh, uh, proud of our dignity as Mexican citizens and with that, with those two terms of respect and dignity between the two countries, I think that eventually after we survive the waves and the storm and the adjustment of the new government, when things comes to terms of negotiation, I th I'm very positive that uh, it's going to be a win-win situation for both countries. Well, Francisco, respect and dignity for both countries. Do the people of Mexico feel that that the U.S. has given them the respect they, they, they deserve, that they've earned? 
Well, um, Jr., you have seen <clears throat> you have seen that President Trump um, in his political campaign made a lot of promises. He was a wise man running his political campaign, and I think his advisors advised him uh, the way that he had to put his promises and postures in order to become president. He did. Uh, a lot of the things that uh, he said and he promised probably could be offensive for the Mexican people, and uh, sometimes they are, because he, I think, sometimes gets a little bit over the, the threshold line. And a little it, over the top. Yes, there. but uh, like I said, we're very respectful. The Mexican people are respectful, and uh, but they, they have dignity. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, uh, President Trump, I think that eventually, eventually, if he's surrounded by smart people like I think he is, he's going to come to terms and say, uh, I better like my neighbors because uh, we're neighbors by geography. We we don't go and buy a house picking our neighbors. I mean, we've yeah. been neighbors for as long as Mexico is yeah. south of the United States. Well, not only we're neighbors, we're also friendly neighbors. We're friendly neighbors, and the United States and Mexico have been friends and partners for many, many, many centuries. Years. Centuries. And I don't think a lot of people realize it, but even during World War II, Mexico put the 201st Expeditionary Squadron, Squadron which is yes. the very first time yes. that Mexican soldiers uh, fought off of Mexican soil to help the U.S. as partners during World Correct. War II in the Pacific. Correct. And so they were very successful. They were very successful. So very successful. Very so brave. Very brave soldiers. And as we've, we've done that, as we've been partners, not only as neighbors, but in trade. I mean, between NAFTA and trade... Uh, one of the things that bothers me, Francisco, is I'm hearing some of the uh, the dialogue, the rhetoric, if you will. A lot of people in the U.S., well, we're going to build a wall or we're going to throw a 20% <coughs> tax, tariffs, yes. tariffs, we're going to do this, and we'll, we'll force them to pay for the wall because once we cut this off, you know, they have no choice but to work with us. But Mexico has choices. I mean, from my, from my perspective, looking at a global economy, if the U.S. were to pull out of Mexico, if they were to start making some changes... And they can do it. Which they can. They can. They can but do it. But that would just open the doors for China and any oh, number definitely. of countries oh, coming definitely. In. Definitely. It, earlier we were talking about the OMC. Could you kind of explain that a little bit? Yes, I was telling you, uh, well, there's two issues. There's two main issues uh, that are, are occurring at, at the moment. One is the, the <coughs> immigration issue, which is a big concern for Mexico. And the and the and the promises of President Trump that are being now dramatic. He's lending his promises, and of course, there's a lot of concern in Mexico about the deportations, and about our you know co-nationals are leaving the United States, because uh, uh, the the more concern there is in Mexico on the issue of of, of deporting uh, uh, migrants of, or co-nationals is the 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 possibility of getting those broken families and, and spreading them apart, and so that's a big concern. Uh, Mexico, it's preparing to uh, to face uh, the deportation of all our our, our uh, co-nationals that are going to come. And the second aspect about being worried about the deportation of our of our people, it's the what's going to happen with the free trade. But um, uh, we have seen that on the few days that President Trump has been in power, uh, all the executive orders that he's been trying to pass. It's not only that he wants to pass him. There's a lot of uh, uh, international rules and laws that have to be approved and passed in order for him to land those orders, and uh, and it can take years to uh, get him approved. And then the free trade agreement 
It's going to be the same. It's so the he, same thing. So with the stroke of a pen, he just can't get rid of NAFTA. Of course not. Uh, uh, Mexico, Canada, United States, we belong to the OMC, which is the Organización Mundial de Comercio. There's 41 countries involved in this. So United States, the United States has the right to pull out of the free trade. But I just want to mention something. You know, uh, Mexico, from those 41 countries that belong to the OMC, we do 85% of our trading with the United States and 15% only with the rest of the 40 countries. So wow. just by saying that, it's, uh, I can, you can understand the potential that Mexico has if it turns around and starts looking towards Asia or Europe or, or somewhere else. Exactly. So I don't, think, I don't think it's convenient for the United States to lose such a great customer as, Me as Mexico the way it is right now. Now, we, we're, going to touch in, we're going to touch another issue, which is... Uh, well, go ahead. Let me, let me back up, and I think that's important where the United States can't afford to lose such a good customer. A lot of people are under the impression that products come from Mexico, we're buying everything from Mexico, and, and Mexico's not getting anything from the U.S. Yeah, that's a wrong concept. Okay, yeah. explain that a little bit. I it's, mean, a, it's a wrong concept. See, you know, in, in, trades, in trades, there's always going to be a deficit. Okay. But if you see the benefits of a trade... But may I add that even though there's always a deficit, and the U.S. have had a deficit, Texas... Has actually had a surplus. Surplus. Well, I mean, that's where you have to balance year things after out. Year after year. I mean, decades of surplus that Texas is actually getting. That's the reason why Texas never went down the tubes in its economy because the trade it had with Mexico, with Mexico, period, was solid and was sustainable that's during exactly. the tough economic times. If it wouldn't be for that trade that we have so much in common, that's why Texas, through the tough years, survived because of the trade ahead with Mexico. So what are some of the things that Mexico buys from the U.S. that actually gives an advantage to the U.S. as Mexico being a customer? Well, uh, 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 I can go and name so many things like uh, if you go to Mexico mm -hmm. uh, and if you just go to Monterey, you can see the amount of American companies. I, it's not that I'm saying that the Mexicans come right. to the United States and buy because you know the possibilities that the, as Mexican citizens have to have a visa permit to cross to the United right. States. But if you see the corporations, the American corporations that are established in Mexico, I mean, I can tell you McDonald's, HEB, Coca-Cola, sure. Walmart. Uh, the reason why Ford, Chevy, and Chrysler moved to Mexico eight years ago, because remember at the beginning when President Obama uh, was in office and those corporations were in a lot of trouble financially, and the reason why they survived is because they moved to Mexico and they found uh, uh, cheaper labor and they survived. So all the products and all the companies that have been established in Mexico and they sell uh, uh, their products in Mexico, you're talking about billions of dollars. Well, couldn't the argument be made, Francisco, that because during those tough economic times and when auto manufacturers and people moved to Mexico to establish their plants, that took jobs away from Americans? Well, yes, probably did. Probably I have to say that probably it did. But uh, if you see in the terms of uh, job creation and job opportunity, um, uh, the labor cost in the United States, it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. The reason why a lot of corporations, not only the car industry, but the air conditioners, the televisions, the washers and dryers, and a lot of of goods that the middle class consumer in the United States buys and the reason why can I they can afford to buy it at the price they're buying it 
is because they're manufactured in Mexico. My question is, if President Trump is pushing for those corporations to come back to the United States, just to give you an example, uh, JR, uh, a Mexican worker in a, an American uh, plant, uh, car, uh, car plant in, in, in Mexico, mm -hmm. makes $25 a day. The same work in the United States makes $25 an hour. So I'm assuming that those corporations, General Motors, Chrysler, uh, 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 Ford, are going to come back to the United States. How are they going to be able to subside the cost of labor to bring those products, those cars, at the same price level they're affording right they're now? Not. I mean, the price of the car would have to increase 20, 25, 30 percent, if not more. I mean, it'd be I mean, the per hour rate. What about the TVs? What about the washers and dryers? What about the blenders? What about everything? So. Um, I don't know where is the President Trump has great great ideas about uh, about reducing the income tax. He's putting money back in the pockets of the American consumer, but on the other hand, he's affecting the American consumer by adding the, the tariffs of all the products that are going to come into Mexico, and not only that, adding the cost of the products that he wants to force the corporations to come to Mexico. So he's con. I mean, he's like. Giving benefits on one side, and he's uh, uh, making it uh, 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 more expensive on mm -hmm. the other side. I don't know if I explain myself. Yeah, but ultimately, it's the it's the consumer. It's the going to be the one that's going to be a much higher price. Correct. You also point out something, Francisco, that I don't think a lot of people may realize, is that as Mexico, there is a lot of U.S. corporations that they're just not only manufacturing, but you have your Kentucky Fried Chickens, you have your McDonald's, you have. Uh, Pizza Coca-Cola, Pizza Huts, and stuff. Walmarts, HEBs, I mean, you name it. They're all over. So as we look at the economy, I, think, I almost feel that, that this administration is almost looking in, and trying to make the United States more of a kind of an isolated type country again. We're just like, let's shut the borders, let's build the walls, let's go into this isolationist type attitude. But it's a global market. We can't survive without trade. And it's that balance. I mean... Correct. The, the global financial market is a delicate balance, and one thing can affect something between the U.S. and Mexico could affect, you know, maybe a, a, a downfall in Asia, or it could cause a recession of Correct. some sort. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. By no means am I saying that I do, but there's realization that it's a global market. When you start shifting around and doing absolutes and making these drastic changes overnight, or trying to, there's going to be a downside. There's going to be an Definitely. adverse effect. Now, let me tell you something, Jerry. Walls are not only to keep people to, from coming in. Walls are also to keep people from going out. We have to remember that. And that's very dangerous. You're enclosing yourself, just like you said. And when you enclose yourself, you're going to isolate yourself. And you're going to be lonely. You're going to be alone. And that puts in a very uh, vulnerable position to any country, not just the United States. I think the best wall that President Trump can do is by enhance investment in Mexico, create jobs, labor, and that would be the best wall. Well, let me ask you this. Why would, why would he do that? Why, why would he invest in Mexico instead of here in the U.S.? Why would anybody want to create jobs and opportunities in Mexico instead of taking care of their own people here? Very simple. It's very simple. Um, one of the reasons is, I don't know why is the mechanism in the United States to in order to bring labor costs down. I don't think there's a possibility. But on the other hand is, 
we see that the minimum wage in Mexico and in minimum wage in the United States, it's very staggering. It doesn't go up much. Right. The increases of prices of products and goods are going up. The reason why I say that by giving jobs in Mexico, creating jobs in Mexico, is very simple. It's just, just to prevent immigration. If you balance out the money the United States would have to spend on building the wall and subsidizing all those corporations that are going to come to the United States instead living in Mexico and, and, still, and still creating those cars, those TVs, those air conditioners and a reasonable price for the American consumer, it's, it's, uh, I think it's contraproductive for the, for the United States uh, uh, to bring uh, uh, those jobs into the United States. Now, and a very important thing that I mentioned. The, po the young population in the United States is diminishing by the year. Yes, uh, it is. The United States is not regenerating new people. We're all getting older in and fact, older. In fact, the youngest market segment in the United States are Latinos. All right. We are actually skew about 10 years younger than every other market, every other population. Average age of Latino in the United States is about 25, 26 years old. Okay. The average age of the rest of the market is about 35, 36. All right. We're younger. We're childbearing, and we're a workforce. And you know why is that? Because we still have our Latino traditions and our Latino cultures that not big families like before, nine or ten, but three or four, mm -hmm. it's a good family. The problem now that we are facing with the, with, the, with the American culture is that kids don't want to have kids. I mean, marriages are becoming less and less uh, 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 common. Uh, people are not having kids because uh, the, the, to raise a kid is, is uh, it's it's very costly. People cannot afford it, and and uh, implicates a lot of of uh, responsibility. So, what I'm pointing out is that the young population in 50 years from now, in the United States, is going to be very scared. It's, it's 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 we're going to lack in the United States from labor. The only country that is going to be able to supply that labor for the needs of the United States is going to be Mexico. And I'm not bringing by Mexicans into the United States. It's by giving the Mexicans the opportunity to have that labor in his in their country. Now, the immigration problem would be so easy to solve. You know, like Mr. Trump, uh, it's right when he says probably it's 12 million, 12 million immigrants in the United States, and he wants to, 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 to get them all out. But uh, what, what would be the problem to, to make this program of all those workers, like we also already see in several cities of the United States that they went one day without, without, uh, 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 without immigrants. Yes, it's there's been hotels that are totally paralyzed, hospitals, restaurants, restaurants businesses. So even one of the Trump hotels, I think, correct. Their, their kitchen had to shut. So uh, the thing is, is if the United States is aware of that need of labor, why don't they establish a program for the immigrants like the Bracero program? Don't you think that those people that have been in the United States for three, four years don't want to go back to their country and visit their families, their parents, their grandparents and stuff? Of course they do. What would be the problem to issue those permits for those people to come to the labor six months? Well, I guess I guess one of the answers and to that could be, well, by, by having a, a guest worker program, but I said program, isn't that taking jobs away from Americans? That's the, yes, it is. It is. It's the, we're going to the back, same question, taking jobs away from Americans. But let me tell you something. There is a lot of jobs that Americans don't want to do. 
Of course they do, Francisco. They want to be out in the fields picking picking crops. They want to be in the kitchens washing dishes. They want to be in the hotels doing things. They want to be lawn service. You're absolutely right. They don't want to <laughs> do their job. So it, it's very easy to say you're taking jobs away from We're Americans. We're not taking the jobs the Americans want. they don't want to do those exactly. jobs. Exactly. The, the Mexican people do not take those jobs. The big Mexican people take the jobs that American citizens don't want to do. And I think what's important, to, to and it really gets me when I hear some of the stuff that I'm listening to on TV and, and some of the, just the narrative, is that for the most part, and every, every society has bad people. Everybody has criminals. Yes. Everybody has rapists. Everybody Correct. has murderers. But for the most part, a lot of the, the Latinos, the, the Mexicans that are here, whether documented or undocumented, they're here to work. They're Correct. not here to cause crime. They're Correct. not here to, to cause trouble. They're hardworking, and they, they, they put in the time, they put in the hours. And to your point, Francisco, I, I agree. I was just kind of playing the other side of the coin. But I agree that investment into Mexico to establish a better way of life, to increase the growth of a middle class, is going to be, be very beneficial to the United States. Correct. Because what's happening is, is first of all, Immigration, or my immigration, should be maybe a choice, not a necessity to live. Yes, because unfortunately, there's a lot of people from Mexico that are trying to escape poverty. They're trying to just feed their families and do whatever they can. Yes, they're in the United States illegally, yes. if you want to look at it illegally, working their little hearts out and sending money, remittance dollars back yes. to Mexico. In fact, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's even some communities in Mexico that the majority of the income of that t of that, yes. uh, that village or that community is remittance dollars coming in. Guerrero and Michoacan, they have a lot of communities. That Zacatecas, totally, I think, is yeah, also, yeah, as we look at that. Yeah, there's towns are totally depend on the people they have in the United States to send their their needs and income to the, to the house to the household. But as people are looking at that, they go, well, they're making the money, they're sending back to Mexico. Yes, but while they're making that money, they're paying taxes on it, they're living here, they're doing everything else. But to your point, it makes more sense to have a guest worker program that people can come and go freely across the borders, people that have been vetted, people that have been checked, people that have been ID'd, people who we know who they are and where they are. Because after a certain amount of work, they invest, they buy a home, they start a business back in Mexico, Correct. and they can go back and live with their families and try to, instead of trying to bring their families to the U.S. and living in the shadows and in fear for the rest of their lives. They don't want to do that. Exactly. And I, I don't see why a lot of people don't understand that that is not necessarily the choice of everybody. They want to survive. They want to be happy. They want to take care of their families. And unfortunately, sneaking across the border into the U.S. is sometimes the only choice that they have. Correct. So as we do this, and I think it's interesting, I find it, I, I didn't wasn't surprised, but I found it intriguing as to the amount of effect it had. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when Trump, as he was getting closer in the elections, and once he became president, the vessel devaluated tremendously. Yes, it did. It did well. Well, it 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 really dropped when he was elected, but and it's still uh, down. It's still down. He recovered after he got elected. The peso got all the way to twenty two point five to one, and uh, it has been recovered since then. In the last uh, uh, thirty forty days, uh, it stood the levels of twenty. So he had dropped two pesos. But it's still a lot of uncertainty. But but for for comparison, before Trump, it was what? Thir well, 13? It, 13. Well, 13 but, to 1. But yeah, but uh, I have to address uh, uh, something that is very important. Uh, the, the depreciation of the peso, uh, uh, it's part of the uncertainty and the speculation that the new government of uh, President Trump has created. 
but it's not all the fault of what President Trump uh, has uh, put in uncertainty. Mexican government, the Mexican government has a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, guilt in this depreciation. Um, our actual government right now um, is going through a lack of credibility, lack of faith. Uh, we have a lot of work to do in our own country, uh, GR, before. Okay. That's one of the things that we say, because we have to be honest, you know, uh, and I'm honest as Mexicans. Well, I, I appreciate your candor. And, and uh, <clears throat> our observation and our comment of what the, or the things that we see in Mexico, we have to clean our kitchen first, get the water, sweep out the water out of the kitchen first before we start uh, judging anybody else. So we have to correct our country and we have to create jobs in our country and we have to improve the, the, the quality of life for our citizens so they don't have that uh, temptation or the need to go to the United States. We have a lot of work to do in Mexico. And and I feel very confident that the new generations and the new mentality of the new people are focusing more on, on doing things right. Mexico cannot stand anymore the type of government that we have had in this past five years. There's no room for that in Mexico. For me, I'm very optimistic that after the new election is going to come in a year and eight months, it's going to take the right turn. I see Mexico in 10 years from now being... Say elections in eight months, which, which level no, one, of election? One, one, one year in eight months. That's a presidential okay. election. And I'm very optimistic that Mexico in 10 years is going to be positioned in one of the strongest economy in the world. Well, it seems, I mean, just the state of Tamaulipas, if it's been 86 years under Correct. one party and now it's a shift. Yes. What, what caused that shift? Well, what I'm, I'm telling you, people are sick and tired of the establishment and, and they're giving the opportunity to uh, new figures of government to, uh, to prove themselves that they can transform and change things for the benefit of all the citizens of Tamaulipas and citizens of Mexico. Like I said, you are, we have to fix our kitchen first. We have to sweep the water out of our kitchen and start first with the good judge who starts with his own house. So that's what we're going to try to do. And, and if you want to create an image of trust to the rest of the world and an image of, of dignity and honor, well, you have to be that. You have to be honorable, honest, and straight, and that's the work we have to do in our country. Francisco, how about all the, the crime? I mean, you see the news. Your average American sees news night, they see that the drug cartels, the shootings, the killings. How pervasive is the actual violence in Mexico right now? Jared, we know, and this is an issue that involves both countries. Uh, when there is demand for drugs, there's going to be always who's going to supply the demand. If the United States keeps demanding the use of drugs, there's going to be not only Mexico, anybody else. There's going to be supply. There's going to be suppliers. You know what's the sad thing about it is that American consumers of drugs spend 150 billion dollars a year in drugs. 150 billion? billion a year. That's the same budget of. Security in the United States of of of, of edu education with 150 billion, you could buy six walls. Okay. <laughs> so um, this is a sad number. It is. So my question is, 
if the United States has a friend and an ally to the fight of, to, to the to the to the war on drugs is Mexico, and if the United States has a friend and an ally to uh, terrorism is Mexico, because with all the border that we have along Mexico, if it wouldn't be the United States backyard guardians, can you imagine the amount of forget about the immigrants, forget about the the guys who going to go across and look for job terrorism that's a big that's a big issue that's a big target for the United States so that's why I think the United States has to come to terms to Mex with Mexico to always be a good neighbor a good friend because we are a good bodyguard on the backyard but at the same time Francisco isn't that just a, another reason to have a wall well uh, we, we, we're gonna bring a, if we're gonna put a wall why don't you why don't we start first about instead of building a wall why don't we start first about fixing what i'm saying let's let's start to do a program where we diminish the consumption of drugs and let's start do a program so we build or structure something so the money that 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 drug consumption is producing in the united states doesn't come in guns and 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 and, and cash for the drug cartels in mexico and and with that with the creation of jobs in Mexico, it will integrate a program that we all can uh, start getting in a, in a very social way. Crimes are committed everywhere in the world. I mean, look at Chicago right now, the way it's, it's, it's going. I mean, but it, it, it sometimes it's not, it's not right. public. But it, it, it all becomes for the drug consumption, for the territories of the gangs, for the territories of the, of, of the drug uh, uh, cartels. But uh, it's, it's either two ways, or we establish a real program to diminish. The American, the American people has to be conscious that if they want to get involved in drugs, they have to first think the consequences that they're creating with the numbers that I told you. They're contributing on that $150 billion that are going into the cartels in Mexico. So we have to do something. Walls are not going to stop immigration, and walls are not going to stop the traffic of drugs. I can guarantee you that. Walls, well, and there's the argument, do we need a wall or do we need a fence? Some sort of barrier. Barriers exist. I know some of them are ineffective, some are obsolete. You see a 20-foot wall, you have a 21-foot ladder leaning up Correct. against it. Yeah. You have tunnels, you have all kinds of ways. I think a lot of things, a lot of times people forget that over 40% of the people here that are that are here illegally came here legally. Yes. On visas. They came yes. on airplanes, they came with proper paperwork, they and they overstayed. Yes. To a point where they got to the point where they're here illegally. illegally. Yes. Now, you, you made a point earlier, Francisco, that I haven't really thought about, but it's good to know. I mean, so Mexico is actually preparing to start receiving back Correct. a lot of its nationals. Co-nationals, yeah. What kind of a effect is that going to have on the country? Well, uh, it's gonna it's gonna create an impact. I mean, I imagine unemployment, unemployment. housing, crime, uh, crime. Yes. Well, I guess yes. so. And, and how about <clears throat> as we have as we have these dreamers, as we have these young people yes. that came to the United States as infants? Yes. You know, babies, yes. two, three, four, five years old, who the only country they've ever known is yes. the United States. Yes. And then if they get deported back to Mexico. That's and not knowing anybody, not having family, and probably not even speaking the language. Correct. How are they going to survive? That's that's. And that's how it. is and how is Mexico going to deal with that? To be honest, we don't know yet. 
We don't know yet because we have never faced an issue in a situation like that. I don't, I, I'm hoping that the thing, it doesn't get too drastic like it seems and that with time we come to a, con, uh, to a consensus, to a middle point to say this is not going to be good neither for the United States or Mexico and, and try, to, try to build up a mechanism or, or an immigration reform that is beneficial and, and works for both countries. Because let me tell you something, all those immigrants who are working over there are the people who are picking up crops in the fields, they're uh, on the roofs, they're on the roads, on the pavements, on the all, the, all the labor force that I mentioned to you that the American people don't want. I have friends in Arizona, I lived in Arizona for 21 years, I have a lot of friends, very successful, they're involved in several business. They're all shaking because the people one of them is in construction business and says, Francisco, I have to wait up to three weeks to find somebody to pour slap. He doesn't find labor for that. Wow. You don't think that's going to create an impact on the on the growth, on the potential growth in the construction business? Of course it's good. The landscaping business. And on the price the, of the price of houses and products and services. So, so I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that we're going to come to terms and and realize what is convenient, and uh, and if we come to the middle, we're going to be. It's going to be a win-win situation for both countries. Francisco, is Mexico safe to travel in? It's getting safer. I would not say that it's a hundred percent, but let me tell you something. I go in regular basis to Monterrey. I go regular basis to Victoria. Is I'm not going to lie. I don't like to lie. I don't like to say things that are not truth. It's still a very vulnerable place on certain and certain parts of Mexico, not all. There's a lot of states. Let me tell you something. Mexico has a very large community of American citizens living there. San Miguel de Allende. Uh, Chapala, Chapala, Mérida, Cancún, La Paz, Baja California, Los Cabos. I mean, there's tons large of American places. Large American communities. Very large because it's very affordable and they're happy. And one of my favorite places is Campeche. Oh my Campeche, God. Campeche. Yes. People I mean, ask me, Jeff, why do you go to Campeche? There's nothing there. I go, exactly. exactly. That's the point. There's mangroves. There's pyramids. There's, Fish, there's flamingos. There's, I mean, it's a beautiful life. Exactly. So, so, yes, there are... Mexico, the points, the focus of danger are not spread all over Mexico. There are certain areas. So there's lots of... There's safe places to go to. Lots, lots. And people can really enjoy... And I would only imagine, Francisco, with the devaluation of the peso right now, that American dollars at a premium, oh and you could God. live, oh, you could like enjoy a king. like a king in a vacation. If you, if you retire as an American citizen, go live up to Mexico, you can live as a Saudi king over there. And there's nothing, nothing more hospitalarious and friendly than the people from Mexico. Okay. You mentioned something earlier before we started recording that I found fascinating as uh, about medical tourism. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit? Is this something evolving? Is this something new? What is medical tourism? Well, um, we know for a fact that medical care in the United States is very expensive. Um, uh, sometimes even to be able to afford medical insurance in the United States is out of reach for a lot of people, middle class people. The opportunity right now with the drop of the peso value on, on compared to the to the US dollar gives the opportunity for all those people that don't have uh, coverage on on insurance 
to have very affordable medical care in Mexico. And you name it from the basic dental care, eye care, uh, uh, a, a very popular, two very popular, uh, uh, two very popular surgeries are performed in Mexico. Which of those? One is the, gast the gastro bypass uh, surgery, which uh, a lot of people goes to Mexico to, to perform that, and cosmetic surgery. Those are those are two two big uh, surgeries that are performed in Mexico because they're not covered by insurance. Francisco, medical tourism, that's definitely something we need to talk about a little bit later on. Unfortunately, we're not going to have time for this show. But I do agree. As I cross the border right there in the valley into Progreso, I often get medications, uh, uh, contact lenses, and even my dentist. The dentist I go to on a regular basis is in Mexico. And it just it's quality work, it's good work, and it's just so so much less expensive than here is in the U.S. But like I said, that's for another show. Francisco, thank you for being with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Latino Business Report. My name is J.R. Gonzalez, and this has been brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. To find out more, you can go to our Facebook page, Latino Business Report, and write your comments. You can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time.